I don't know of a more glorious picture of our Lord Jesus Christ than what we just heard. We just heard a description of Jesus as he is right now. Glorified. Perfect in beauty and powerful and awesome and terrifying and mighty. I was realizing as you were reading that, this is the first time I had heard that read this week in, in all the study that I put into this. And it's, it's so good to sit under this text and behold Jesus Christ. That is what we are going to do tonight. We are going to see the glorious Christ that's revealed in Revelation. We are making our way through a study uh, that is the book of Revelation. We're titling this God Wins. I think that's an appropriate theme for what this book is about. In the book of Revelation, what is revealed, lest there be any doubt, is that when all is said and done, God wins. God is victorious and he will reign forever and ever. He has defeated sin and ultimately he will wipe away sin completely. God has won and God will win. God wins. As, as, we, as we look tonight at the glorious Christ as he's revealed, in fact, if you're taking notes, that's what we're going to title this tonight, the glorious Christ. Now, Christ is going to be revealed in Revelation chapter 1, and that's ultimately going to fit into, into John's context in the book of Revelation. When we introduced this last week, this is a long statement. You don't have to write this down, but I want to bring us all up to speed. This is the conclusion that we came to. The book of Revelation is primarily the recording of a vision that portrays the return of Christ and the events that surround it. Okay? So it's a vision. It's like a dream, but not really a dream. It's not still happening today. It's a vision, and it's a vision that's telling what's coming in the future. Specifically, the content of Revelation revolves around the return of Christ and all of the events that surround it. Now, essential to our understanding of the book of Revelation is that Revelation is meant to produce repentance and faithfulness in those who hear it. <clears throat> the book of Revelation is not written so that we can read something that's fun and cool and a lot less boring than the rest of the Bible. It's not written so that we can know the dates and the exact timing and every little nuance of what's going to happen at the end of time. That's not the point. So often our focus is go there, but that's not the point of the book. The purpose of this book is that it would produce in the readers repentance, that they would see what is coming, that they would know that ultimately God wins and that that would cause them to turn from their sin and to live a life of faithfulness. So understand that this book that you guys have asked me to study for a long time is about you turning from your sin. And everything in here feeds that goal. Mostly this book is going to look to the future. But tonight we look not to the future but to approximately 90 AD, about 60 years after the death of Christ, on a small island in the Mediterranean Sea called Patmos, where Jesus' closest friend, John, had been banished for preaching Christ. That is the setting of the book of Revelation. That is where John receives this vision. 
And that is where John begins to write what we hold in our hands today. Our text tonight is John chapter 4, John chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 20. Much of the beginning of this text is just introductory comments from John as he is opening his letter to these seven churches. He says, John, he identifies himself. This letter is from John, he says in verse number four. John is the apostle. He's the one who wrote the book of John that we studied for so long, just just a little while back. He wrote first, second, and third John. John is the closest friend of Jesus on the earth. John is the one in the gospel of John that is always referred to when it refers to the disciple that Jesus loved. John and Jesus had a unique, loving, close friendship. So this is the John who is writing it. He says, I am writing to, verse four, the seven churches that are in Asia. There are seven specific churches that this letter is going to be sent to. John is saying, it's from me, it's from John, and I'm writing to you, the seven churches. He says in verse four, grace to you and peace. This is a common greeting. Grace, a a gift from God to man. May grace be bestowed upon you. May peace be bestowed upon you. Where does that come from? Where is the grace and peace that we need as humans? It comes from God. And, And not just one part of, not just God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. It comes from the triune God. It comes from the Godhead. And that's what he says in verse four. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. When John says that, maybe a little unclear who he's talking about because him who is and who was and who is to come could be God the Father, could be God the Son, and could be God the Spirit. But as we keep reading, I think it becomes clear that in John's mind is the Trinity here. Just keep reading. From him who was and him who is and who is to come, also from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. So there's three people that are being talked about here. I think it's natural for us to take that first one, him who is and who was and who is to come as God the Father. But then John says, the grace and peace that I'm wishing upon you is also from the seven spirits who are before God's throne. I'll be honest with you. I've been psyched to preach the book of Revelation, and I kind of thought that chapter one would be easy, chapters two and three would be easy, chapters four and five would be easy, and chapter six is where this would start getting crazy. But then I got to verse number four of chapter one, And he starts talking about seven spirits. He talks about God the Father, God the Son, and seven spirits. And I immediately started to regret my decision to preach the book of Revelation. (laughs) Because what on earth is this sevenfold thing that is between God the Father and God the Son? Like, when we say God the Father and God the Son, what comes next? The Holy Spirit, right? That's the Trinity the scripture talks about. When God the Father and God the Son, when we see them together so often, the Holy Spirit is with him. And and, and there is spirit here, but it's plural, and there's seven of them. So I'm, I'm in verse number four, and I'm already scratching my head. What is John talking about? He doesn't wait to start getting a little trippy with the terminology that he's using in this book. So I spent a lot of time and I spent a lot of brain cells 
and I'm a lot dumber than I was when I started this. But my conclusion is that who John is talking about here is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. When he refers to the seven spirits, he is talking about the one Holy Spirit. Several times in Scripture, multiple times in the book of Revelation and even in the Old Testament, when there are visions taking place, there is like this sevenfold nature to who the Holy Spirit is. He's often, he's, we're going to see him illustrated in chapter 4 as, as being with Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to be pictured as a lamb and the Holy Spirit is going to be seven eyeballs on the lamb. We'll get there and we'll talk about that when it comes. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is illustrated with the number seven. And, and in, in, in the Old Testament, it's also that way. He's seen as seven lampstands in, in the Old Testament. Now, why the number seven? I have no idea. And if you're looking for those kind of answers in this study, you're regularly going to be disappointed. Some have said that the number seven is the number for perfection. Well, if that's the case, why don't we talk about the seven fathers and the seven sons? Why does he refer to seven as the Holy Spirit? So I don't know, and I don't think it matters. What we see here are two clear statements of the Father and the Son and a confusing statement about the Holy Spirit. But the point of this verse and the point of so much of this book that we're going to see is that John is in a vision and what he's seeing, he's writing down. And what he sees is seven things that are, that are illustrating the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he writes. He wishes upon them grace and peace from the Godhead, from the triune God, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. But when he gets to God the Son, Jesus Christ, John goes off. He doesn't just say there's God the Father, there's the seven spirits, and then there's the Son. No, no. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ. Look at all that he attaches to who Jesus Christ is. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When John gets to Jesus, he launches into theological attributes about who he is. In the book of Revelation, John is going to be fixated on Jesus Christ. We're going to see Jesus Christ as central to this passage and as central to this book. He mentions the name Jesus and immediately he just starts attaching stuff to us. He's the faithful witness, verse 5 says. He testifies, he reveals, he, he explains God. He's the, he's the firstborn of the dead. He, he's the first to rise in defeat of death. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's in charge. He's sovereign. All the rulers are ruled by him. He is the king of kings. He is also the one to whom all of this is dedicated. Look at the second half of verse five. What I'm writing is not just from Jesus, it's to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And in addition, he made us to be three things, a kingdom, priests to his God and father, two things, miscounted. He made us to be a kingdom and priests. He says, so not only am I wishing upon you grace and peace from God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son, but he launches into an explanation of all the facets of the glory of Christ. 
Then we come to verse 7. Behold, he, Jesus, John is still fixed on Jesus. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the declaration that prepares us for the book of Revelation. I want us to understand this statement because this is the launching point. The declaration that prepares us for Revelation is Jesus is coming back and everyone will see him. John is kind of wrapping up his introductory comments here. And he says, here's what you need to know. Behold, he, Jesus, is coming back. He's coming. He's returning. Verse 7 says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. John is going to launch into this vision of Christ with the awareness that Jesus is coming and everyone will see him. Thus, by implication, everyone must respond to him. Everyone will be accountable to him. And that's what he starts to say. Even, not just believers will see him. Look at verse seven. Even those who pierced him, even those who killed him, even those who are against him, even those who are his enemies, all will see him. And look at their response. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. From the beginning of the book of Revelation, the tone is that Jesus is coming back. Everyone will see him. And when he comes back, it's not just a happy day. That day in so many will bring mourning and heartache and pain and fear and suffering. When he comes back, many will be in terror. He's coming back and everyone, every man, woman, and child will see him and will be accountable to him. He ends verse seven saying, so it is to be. This is happening. This is coming. This is not up for debate. This is to be, so be it, amen. We then come to verse eight, where for the first time God speaks. God opens his mouth and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, there's a lot of debate about this verse, whether this is Jesus talking or whether this is God the Father. I think it's most natural to understand this to be Jesus talking as Paul is about to launch into what Jesus is and who Jesus is in all of his glory. He precedes it by this statement. You've already known. Noted, verses four all the way through the rest of the chapter are about Jesus. And I think it's fitting to see verse eight as Jesus speaking. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am. I, he said, this is the one who is. I exist. And I was. 
and I am to come. I am the almighty God. I am the all-powerful one. Well, we then come to verse nine, which kicks off this vision that John is going to have, and this is going to carry us through the rest of the book of Revelation. Again, he refers to himself in verse nine, I, John, I'm your brother and your fellow partaker. He, he refers to himself in two ways. One, I'm your brother. I'm your brother in Christ. I'm a member of this family with you. Also, secondly, I'm a fellow partaker, he says in verse nine. I, I'm with you in this, he's saying. We're in this together. I am a fellow partaker in three things, the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus. I'm a partaker in suffering with you, he says. I'm a partaker in the kingdom of God with you. And I'm a partaker in the perseverance that is in Christ. We're doing this together. We're in this together, John says, okay? So this is written to seven churches, but John says, I'm your brother. And I'm your fellow partaker. This is for every man. John is identifying with the other believers. I'm with you. Our need to remain faithful and repent and endure is mutual. So I, John, I'm your brother. I'm your fellow partaker. Halfway through verse nine, I was on the island called Patmos. Why? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John finds himself on this island, banished to an island because he was a preacher of the word of God and the testimony of who Jesus was. John was isolated on an island. He was banished to an island because essentially he had gotten in trouble with the government for his faithfulness to Jesus Christ. John is on this island. Verse 10. I was in the spirit. Here we go. John finds himself in the spirit. That terminology is vision terminology. John is enduring. He's entering into a vision. This is a spiritual experience, not a physical experience. He's being led by the spirit of God to see the things that he's about to see. When does that happen? I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. A lot of debate about what that means. I think it means Sunday. I think he's just saying, I was in the spirit on the first day of the week, and here is what happened. So here we go. This is going to carry us through the rest of the book of Revelation. The vision starts with a voice. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. Okay, so John is chilling on the island of Patmos. Normal day. He finds himself in the spirit, however that happens. And he hears a voice. But not just any voice. It is a voice that sounds like a trumpet. Now, what does a voice that sounds like a trumpet sound like? I'm gonna give you my best impersonation. You ready? No, I'm not doing that. I, the point is, 
We are entering into the simile part of Revelation, which is like the rest of the book. John is going to start attaching words to things that he can't understand. He hears a voice and he's like, that's not even human. That, I mean, it sounds like a trumpet. What John hears, he can't even describe. So he says it's kind of like a musical instrument. But in that trumpet, he says it's loud, it's authoritative, it's heavy, it's bellowing, it's, it's, it's screaming, and it's behind him. So like, oh, snap, just picture this. John's in the spirit, and behind him is a voice like a trumpet. Like this is the stuff of horror stories that we're starting to enter into right now. Loud trumpet voice behind him. This is just crazy. What does it say? John has seen nothing yet. He's only hearing. I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. And just imagine while I'm reading this, I just can't get over this. Like, I'm reading it, but this is not what it sounded like. I don't know what it sounded like. But it wasn't a soft voice like I'm reading to you right now. I have no idea. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Okay, so these are John's instructions. He hears this trumpet voice screaming the names of a bunch of churches. Send it to these people. Verse 12, then I turned. He hears the voice. What do you do when you hear a voice like this? What on earth is making this noise? My mind goes to uh, my wedding day when uh, we have a, we have, a lot of weddings have what they call the first reveal where the groom isn't supposed to see the bride all day and then and for the first time the, the groom is standing there and the bride comes behind him and he turns around and he sees his bride for the first time. And uh, all the girls are captured right now and you guys are all lost. <laughs> but this is... This is, a, this is an awesome moment on your wedding day where the groom is, he knows, I remember, I remember this happening vividly where my wife is standing behind me. She says something and I hear her voice. I know she's there and you turn around and you see your bride on her wedding day for the first time. This is that kind of a scene. John hears something, he's in the spirit and he turns to see who it is that is speaking this to him. And who he sees is Jesus Christ. He sees his Savior and his Lord and his friend. He turns to see the voice. And he beholds his God. We're out of time. This, this is going to be the hardest study I've ever preached in my entire life. What we're going to do... <laughs> four scenes in the first stage of John's vision. Four scenes in the first stage of John's vision. All this is, is how this story is laid out. 
this is what John sees. What does he see? Well, first, we're going to see what it is that John sees. Okay? Verse 12. Let's read fast. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. What on earth? John, he looks, he turns around, and he sees Jesus, and it's unlike anything that any of us have ever seen. He's, he's white and his eyes look like fire and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth and, and his hair is perfectly white and his face is like the sun and he has a golden sash and his feet are metal that's been in a fire and they're blazing. What on earth is John seeing? This is unbelievable. You, you know what he's seen? He's seen what Jesus looked like in his glorified state. He's seen what Jesus looks like right now. He's using the best words that he can possibly describe to say this is what Jesus looks like. He, he's... he's Almost not even looking like a man. He describes him as one who is like a son of man. What he's seen doesn't even look human. It looks like a human. He's, he's reaching and grasping for words to describe. And we could walk through every one of these bullet points. I'm not skipping this because I don't have time. I'm, I don't want to step into each one of these because I don't think they're that important. The point is not what do the feet mean and what do the eyes mean. The point is this scene is unbelievable. This Savior is glorious and powerful and frightening and terrifying. Put yourself in John's shoes. You hear the voice. You turn around and what you see is fire coming out of his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. How would you respond to that? Jesus is frighteningly awesome in glory. Jesus is frighteningly awesome in glory. When I say awesome there, I mean it strikes awe and terror in those who see it. Frighteningly awesome. He is the glorious Christ. It's overwhelming. It's unbelievable. Okay, so how do you respond to a frighteningly awesome Jesus? Second point, how John responds. How John responds, what John does. John's response. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. which is only natural. I, I love the terminology he uses here. Not after I saw him, 
It's not like I saw him, I looked for a little while, and eventually I realized I should probably get on the ground. No, when he saw him, he hits the deck. He turns, he sees Jesus, and he falls to his face on the ground. And he does it as if he's dead, okay? This is not like he slowly gets down on his hands and knees. It's like he got shot in the head and fell over like a dead man. He falls to his face. How do you respond to a picture like this of the glorious Christ? This is how you respond. And I hear this and I'm just amazed because if you remember in John chapter 13, John, Jesus' closest friend on earth, this is the guy on on the few nights before Jesus is betrayed is laying down with Jesus at a table with his head resting on Jesus' chest. the definition of comfort as close as he could be this is that same John this is that same Jesus but when he sees him this time there's no cozying up to his close friend he falls to his face like a dead man someone who truly understands Jesus will not approach him casually John, Jesus' closest and most intimate friend, does not approach Jesus casually when he sees him in his glory. He falls to his face like a dead man. That leads us to a third scene in this first stage of John's vision. In this third scene, we see what John hears. We've seen what John sees. We've seen how John responds. Now we hear what it is that John hears as he's on his face like a dead man. Verse 17, and he placed his right hand. He, Jesus, placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. What? In this scene, he's on his face like a dead man. Jesus reaches out and he says, John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Which is ridiculous. How might one not be afraid in this scenario? How might one not be terrified at what John is seeing? You know what Jesus reassures John with? His identity. John, you don't need to be afraid. You know why? Because here's who I am. I am the first and the last. John, I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. John, don't be afraid because I am the one with the keys to death in Hades. John, it's Jesus. Don't be afraid. Okay, last one. Give me one more minute. What must John do? This will take us into the rest of the book. Jesus then gives John a task. Therefore, (laughs) write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. Jesus looks to John and he says, John, don't be afraid because you know who I am. Here's what you need to do. You need to write three things. The things which you've seen, which is chapter one, I think. The things which are, which I think is chapters two and three and the things that are coming, which is the rest of the book of Revelation. In this verse, I think we have an outline of what the book of Revelation is. John, here's what you need to write. What you've seen, the things that are happening now, 
and the things that are coming, the past, the present, the future. John, write these things down. Then he gives them a little cue into some of the terminology that we've seen. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We're gonna explain that in chapters two and three as Jesus speaks to the seven churches.